In New City Church, what an exciting weekend we have. We're launching our Idlewild campus today. So pray for a group of us that are there. And we'll be giving you a report next week about all the exciting things that God did today. We're also excited this weekend to welcome back Jeff Helton. Jeff has been a friend of our church for years. And today he's going to be talking about numbering our days, how to take the, the most opportunity for everything that God's given to us in our lives. So would you give a warm New City welcome this morning to Jeff Helton? Well, good morning. It is so good to be back in Charlotte and to be here at New City Church. Just, to, I'm here for you, Brian. Yeah, it, it's so good to be here. Uh, I've had the privilege over the last about four years of being a behind the scenes, walking with, getting to watch this amazing process this church has been on. You know, there's a commercial on TV and kind of the punchline is it, uh, in it is at the very end of the commercial is the most interesting man in the world. You know the commercial. Y'all are like the most interesting church in the world to me sometimes. Watching this journey you've been on these last few years, getting to know Jimmy several years ago and watching God just do direction there that, that was incredible, uh, seeing his faithfulness over four decades. And then watching this, this, this crazy merger of two churches, what New Charlotte was doing and what God was doing there in a church plant and to see you come together. And, you know, I, I, I know it's not all peaches and cream. I know there's been hard moments in any kind of transition in life, but God is up to something great here. I think Jeremiah 29 always reminds me that the best days for God's people are always out in front of us. Don't misunderstand me. The past has been amazing and God has done wonderful things and today is great. And yet God is always saying, watch me, watch me. There's more I'm going to do in you and through you. So it's just great to get to be here to celebrate what you're doing, what God's doing in this place. When I think about what's happened in this church, I feel like one of the key words that I've observed over the last four years has been intentionality, intentionality. There's been such great intentionality in, in leadership on both churches. There's been great intentionality and steps have been taken along the way. And y'all, to me, that's what I want to chat with you about just for a few minutes this morning, this whole idea of intentionality, or, or as Moses is going to call it in the Psalm we're looking at this morning, numbering our days. We're going to look at the, at the first psalm ever written, Psalm 90 this morning, written by Moses in a really difficult time in Israel's history. If you remember the story of Israel, you know, slaves in Egypt, 400 years of slavery. And finally, through Moses, God shows up and, and he gets them set free and, and this miraculous stuff, it all happens in Egypt. And finally, they are on their way to the promised land. It's like, it's a change, it's a transition. And it's also this sense of going, wow, it's going to be so good when we get there. All of those people understood their geography pretty well. They knew that it was a 30-day walk in the wilderness. Evidently, Siri wasn't working very well. If you remember your Old Testament, that 30 days became 40 years of wilderness wandering. Somewhere in the midst of that wandering, in my imagination, probably toward the end of that time, Moses, exhausted by hearing the grumbling and the complaining, the bickering, oh, this change isn't going the way we thought it should. Oh, why are we not there yet? Oh, we wish we, some of them, we wish we were back in slavery in Egypt again. They've lost all sense of hope. Somewhere, Moses picks up his proverbial pen and he writes what we now know as Psalm 90. It's a psalm of lament. When we think of lament, we often think of sorrow, and it certainly has some of that in it. But I think a psalm of lament at its core, especially for us today, it's an invitation to pause and pay attention. Just pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on in Israel's life, but pay attention into how these words, ancient though they may be, have application that's fresh and new this morning for you, for me, 
What I want to do this morning is pretty simple. No new theological truth for you, I think, but rather three questions that I hope you'll jot down and take with you. Questions that you probably can't answer in the short time we have together this morning, but questions I would love for you to ponder over the next several days, the next few weeks. Questions that I believe Moses speaks to about the reality of how we live intentionally, how we live our lives on purpose, how, as he says, we number our days. Three questions. Question number one, I want you to consider is this. What's your vision for finishing strong? What's your vision for finishing strong? Y'all, we're a culture that loves vision. We, we pay consultants, we pay people to come in and help us do vision, strategy, planning. We want to learn how do we have something great going on, not just corporately, but, but even in our own lives. We want to have a strong vision. But a vision that's really good is a vision that takes us the distance, a vision that helps us finish strong. Now, a lot of us are good at starting strong. We come out of the gate good. But man, finishing strong requires perseverance. It requires overcoming things down that come our way. You know, there's a simple principle that I talk about often is that great vision requires a firm foundation. You know, if you build a vision on a pipe dream, on something that you know you don't have the solid resources to do, that vision may never come to fruition. But great vision requires a firm foundation. In the midst of this wilderness wandering, there's no doubt in my mind that the sense of clarity about where we're going has to be shaken. Remember, everybody knows it's a 30-day walk. Imagine being at year 20. How strong is that vision for you right now? You know, how much are you sure and trusting even in Moses' leadership? So Moses pins these words to start Psalm 90. Psalm 90 verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Remember his audience. 40 years, they've been setting up tents pretty much every day, crawling in them, sleeping in the tent, waking up the next morning. It's like Groundhog Day, y'all. They're doing it all over again. And yet he's saying, can I tell you something? This place in the wilderness, this tent, this isn't your home. This isn't your firm foundation. Lord, you are our dwelling place. Our real home isn't this tent. What a great life principle. That if I'm going to have a firm foundation, if I'm going to have a vision for finishing strong, it begins with going, what am I really building on? In, in my days of being a pastor, I performed a number of weddings and every, every bride and groom that stood in front of me, y'all, you know, it, the room is filled with love and it's a great day of celebration until death do us part and we're going to do it. Every wedding begins with this great vision for finishing strong. But that kind of passion isn't reserved just for wedding day. It's got to be for the entirety of our life. We need that same firm foundation that we commit to on wedding day to be there day in and day out. Several years ago now, we, we made a trip to Bismarck, North Dakota. My wife's mother, my mother-in-law, uh, the, the, the old family farm is just outside of Bismarck, North Dakota. And so, so we go up there and it's an awesome occasion. We're going there to celebrate my in-law's 50th wedding anniversary. I wish you could have met them. I mean, they're just precious people. My, my, my mother-in-law, this beautiful, fair-skinned, North Dakotan of German descent, very proper. My father-in-law is, is, is much shorter, very, very dark-skinned. He's from Malaysia of Sri Lankan descent. I mean, ebony and ivory you got it and just precious people my father-in-law just cracks me up he, he he's born and raised in Malaysia been in the states for years but sometimes he'll miss the little nuances of things so at, at the celebration of his 50th where they had him up on stage and asking him some questions just so you get an idea of who they were and somebody says to Lionel my father-in-law Lionel where did you first kiss Marion and I thought oh this would be a fun question and Lionel hears the question turns his head and he goes 
Well, on the lips, of course. <laughs> you get it? Just, just sweet, sweet, sweet people. So we're there celebrating their 50th anniversary. And y'all, if anybody was worthy of celebration for 50 years, it was these two. Their lives, career missionaries all over Southeast Asia, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia. And then the last part of their ministry together, pastoring small little rural churches all over North and South Dakota. Just people who followed Jesus with heart, soul, mind, and strength their whole life long. They knew early on that their dwelling place wasn't Malaysia. It wasn't Singapore. It wasn't Indonesia. Their dwelling place wasn't North Dakota. If you ever walked in their house, you would see that what was important to them wasn't having all the right perfect things hanging or decorated. Rather, it was holding on to things that reminded them of places they had been and the faithfulness of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. It could have been a banner that hung over their marriage. That's the invitation that Moses is saying. He's saying, live in such a way that, that your vision for the future have a vision that's so strong you can finish well with it, but it's got to be anchored in a really firm foundation. Can we tell the truth to each other this morning? So often when we envision, when we think about the future, we're thinking about all the externals, aren't we? Like, man, what's life going to turn out like when I get out there? (laughs) After we left their, their anniversary, I found myself kind of obsessing about what I saw. And I'm looking back and I'm thinking, man, that was such a cool celebration of them. But I'm also looking at my father-in-law going, wait a minute, if Laura and I make it 50 years of marriage, what, what will we be like? Ooh, what will I look like? You know, will I move like that? Will I look like that? And oh my goodness. And so this kind of obsessive side of me kicked in. I started thinking about it. What will we look like at 50 years of marriage? And so I got back to my office and we had this great graphic designer named Waylon. And I went to Waylon and I gave him this picture. I said, Waylon, this is Laura and I at about 20 years of marriage. And, and I, I want you to take a peek at this picture when we're 20 years of married. And I said, there's my beautiful wife. That's me doing the best I can to stay beside her, you know. And, and I'm kind of obsessing about this 50th anniversary. And I'm trying to think, my goodness, what are we going to be like at 50 years of marriage? I, I feel like I got to know these things. I'm sorry, I'm a little shallow, but I'm like, okay, what's Laura going to be like? And so Jeff, let, let me do some magic. So, you know, Photoshop or whatever it is. And a few days later, he says, okay, come in my office. So he throws that picture back up. He goes, okay, here's the picture you gave me. I said, yep. He goes, so I've done some work. Jeff and Laura Helton, 50 years of marriage, July 18th, 2037. Take a look. So anyway, I fired Waylon the next day and um, no, no, I just love that picture. Isn't that what we do? If you ask me to think about my future, I'm going to think about what do I look like? You know, how will my house be? Uh, uh, how will my savings, how will my retirement fund be? We're, we're, we're focused in on all these things that honestly, if we're honest, we're going, that's what I'm trusting in for my future and for finishing well. Man, man, if Moses could walk in today. Hey guys, wrong thing. Trust in this one that I described, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were created, before the world was formed, everlasting to everlasting, from before time to after time, whatever that even means, you are God, you are our home. I want you to consider that this week. What's the firm foundation that you're carrying around for finishing strong? What's your firm foundation? And does it need a little tweaking? Does it need a little adjustment? Question number one. I think there's a second question that Moses speaks to in Psalm 90. And it's this question. Do you have realistic expectations? Do you have realistic expectations? You know, expectations, when they're unspoken or unknown or or uh, when we're unaware of them, expectations mess up everything. 
When expectations aren't known or spoken, we live in a world that's not really rooted in reality. It's rooted in our expectations only. It happens in our marriages. It happens in our relationships. It happens at work. The boss says and, or thinks, I expect you to do this. You're expecting to do this. And if they don't meet, what happens? Conflict, tension, problems. We must have a realistic expectation of, of how this life works. And Moses, in this psalm, has three areas where I feel like, again, he's blowing the whistle to the Israelites and he's saying, can I encourage you to live with realistic expectations? Remember where they are. Their expectation was 30 days. We're in the promised land. They're at year 20, year 25, year 30, year 35. And he's saying, hang on, let me give you realistic expectations. And the first one he gives that I see in there is this, life is short. Life is short. He says, I really want you to understand that. Listen to some of these verses between verses 3 and verse 11. You return man to dust for a thousand years in your sight. There is yesterday when it's past or is a watch in the night. In other words, God, your economy, life goes fast. Verse 5, concerning our days, Moses writes, You, O God, sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning. Those original hearers are going, Oh yeah, when we wake up in the morning after the dew, the grass looks green, but by the end of the day, the scorching heat, it begins to brown up. And Moses is saying, Yep, just like you see that many days, that's the way life goes. It goes quick. Life goes faster than we all think. I'm from Nashville. I can quote country music artists, right? Kenny Chesney, life goes faster than you think. Don't blink. It goes so quick. And, and Moses is saying, you need to know this. Remember the context. 40 years of wondering. It's not going short. It is Groundhog Day. It's the same thing every day, Moses. What do you mean it's, it's short? He's going, no, you need to know that this thing that we're doing, it goes by fast. You know the problem with life going fast? Is many of us struggle with the very same disease. Procrastination. Why do today what I can do tomorrow? Y'all just came out of a powerful series these last three weeks, The Art of Neighboring. And, and as I listened to a, about a one and a half of the messages, I, f- I found myself going, what a great invitation to be intentional on in how we're engaging our neighbors. And, and I bet there's some of you who are like, man, I- I'm kind of challenged. I'm kind of convicted. I'm going to reach out to my neighbor down the street. I'm going to do that this Saturday. Oops, this Saturday got busy. You know, next Saturday, we're going to do a cookout. Ooh, that was a big college football weekend. I can't do it this weekend. And we just kind of keep pushing it away, don't we? It's so easy to realize this truth that life is short. It's kind of a kindergarten principle if you think about it. But the question that Moses is saying, are you really living with that expectation? Are you you living in such a way that you go, I want to engage how quick this life goes and pay attention. That's why later he's going to say life is short. So number your days. We'll talk about that in a second. There's a second expectation that he wants us to know, and it's this, expect difficulties. Expect difficulties. I bet you're a lot like me. You know, I love it when the checking account is good. I love it when Laura and I are in a good place. I love it when all of our children are around and we're interacting well. I love it when my body's not sore, when my car works. I want life to work, right? I want it to be good. And and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a great way for us to desire to live this life. But Moses says, yeah, and remember this. Listen to Psalm 90, verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or if even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. We bring our years to an end with a sigh. Not exactly a happy passage, Moses. You mean, at the end of my life, I'm just going to go, <sighs> y'all, we don't have to wait to the end of our lives to know that's true. We all have these days when we crawl in bed at the end of the day, we fall back, our head hits the pillow, and the only words of our mouth are, and if we pray, our prayer is simple. Dear Lord, 
Don't let tomorrow be like today. Just, just those hard days, right? We, we know what it's like. But the reality is, is a lot of live in such a way that, that we don't expect difficulties. We, we, we want life to go smooth, to be easy. Matter of fact, we live with an expectation that life should be good. And for some people, especially if we're following Christ, Jesus should make my life easy. You know what that's called? Heresy. Jesus' job is not to make your life easy. Jesus, when he was on the earth, said, in this world, you will have, remember the word? Tribulations. Difficulties would be a good word to put there. In other words, expect that in this broken world that we live in, while God is good and while God is up to good and while God blesses us in amazing ways, hard things happen. And here's what scares me. If we don't know, if we don't expect there to be difficulties, when they come, we get so ticked off at the wrong place or the wrong person. Instead of living our lives with a sense of going, wow, in this world there's difficulties, and in those difficulties they don't have to define me because, oh yeah, I've got this vision for finishing strong, and it's the God who is my dwelling place, and he's bigger than whatever difficulty comes my way. Y'all, sometimes the gospel that we preach, sometimes the gospel we talk about, sometimes the way we even parent our kids, we're setting them up to believe, hey, you trust Jesus and life is going to be really good. Be careful with that. Because if we're not careful, what we do is we raise a generation of people who are entitled. I shouldn't have pain. I remember sitting in a counselor's office a number of years ago, working through some tough issues going on in my life and relationally. And I I'd kind of unloaded it to him. And, and on about my third session with him, he began saying, Jeff, can I tell you what I'm observing? I said, yeah. He said, this is a difficult situation. You don't like it. It's really hard. I would even say it's painful for you. I said, you got me, man. You're understanding. And I'm feeling good. You know, he gets me. And then he asked a question. Jeff, so when will you embrace pain as your friend? I'm not proud of my response. But what I said in the Sunday morning version was, when the hot spot freezes over, that's when. In other words, I'm not going to embrace pain as my friend. What a stupid idea. And I look at the story of Jesus. Perfect. Without sin. His life is marked, especially toward the end, with significant pain that God says, watch me use it for good. In this world, we're called to, to expect difficulty, Moses would say. When you get lost in the wilderness and you thought what was going to be 30 days is 40 years, hang on. The good hand of our God is still upon us. He's still doing something. Life is short. Expect difficulties. And thirdly, he wants us to know this for some reason. There are no secrets. There are no secrets. Is a realistic expectation that Moses wants us to know. I mean, listen to these words in verse 8. For you, O God, have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your presence. Now, we kind of all can assent to that. Oh yeah, God knows everything. Why is Moses saying this to this community of wilderness wanderers? And it seems to me like part of what he's saying is going, listen, two million of us walking along in the desert, there, there, there's some funky stuff going on out there. there there's some secrets happening. And I want to remind you, God knows your secrets. And I think his point is this, so don't live in them. Be known, be connected, walk with others. You don't have to take that and carry it yourself. Y'all, I see it way too often. Secrets show up and secrets do one thing and one thing only, they kill. 
Secrets kill marriages. Secret kill, secrets kill relationships. Secrets kill churches. Secrets kill businesses. Secrets kill anything they come in contact with. And the problem is there's this internal narrative that, that, that we use to kind of gloss over our secrets. You know, something like, well, you know, I, I know he doesn't mean that. That's just the way he is sometimes when he's leading. Or, well, I know she can be harsh, but she means it good. Or, or it's, it's the whole phrase, we'll say something like, well, you know, it, it doesn't hurt anybody but me. And it's not that bad for me. So it's probably okay. Shh, I won't tell anybody. Where does that lead? It doesn't lead to life. It doesn't lead to freedom. It leads to this place where we begin to live unknown by others. I think many of us are terrified to be known that way. We're terrified to bring out this part of us that we're, we're walking around hiding in. I see it in my office so often when someone comes in and, you know, even in the, in the first session, you're going, there was about 10% more they wanted to talk about, but for some reason they didn't. You go, oh, that's all right. Second session, they come in and, and, and they kind of hint toward it. And usually that third or fourth session, they'll say, hey, Jeff, there, there's something, and they'll often say this, there's something I want to talk about and I've never told anyone before. And I wish I could video their faces because in those next few minutes as they, as they share, often emotionally, you can see the shame that's there. Like, oh, I can't believe this is part of my story. I can't believe this is my secret. I can't believe I'm telling you, but I feel like I need to. And their faces just begin to transform right in front of me. Not like they're all better, but transform in the sense of going, oh, oh, I feel like a weight is being lifted because I finally told what's true. That's what Moses is saying. He's saying, you don't have to live with your secrets. You can be fully known. And if you're going to live this wilderness wandering life that the Israelites are called to, and at times we walk in as well, he would just say, be known, be known. Three realistic expectations. Life is short. Expect difficulties. Don't live with secrets. Be known. What a wonderful invitation. What a great question for you to ponder this week. Are you, are you living with realistic expectations? The final question in Psalm 90 he speaks to is this, what priorities guide your life? What priorities are guiding your life? You know, there's an old adage that says, uh, I can tell your priorities if you'll let me see your checkbook and your calendar. Think about it, isn't it true? I can tell you that, man, I am really committed to investing in blank, but you look at my calendar, where am I spending my time? You look at my checkbook, where's my money going? And you'll go, uh, Jeff, I don't think so, big guy. You say you are, but this right here kind of exposes you. What priorities are you really living by? Not do you assent to, but what are you living by? See, toward the end of this Psalm, verse 12 and following, it's like no, Moses begins to change gears a little bit. And his prayer becomes, becomes, I feel like, even bigger. And he prays these words in verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us, O oh Lord, to slow down and to number our days. In other words, to, to, to pay attention to what's happening. You know, the idea of numbering your days, it's not counting, okay, this is day 21,981 for me. That's not what he's doing at all. He's saying every day, number it. A better word, consider it. Feel the weightiness of it. Be aware of this precious gift that today is and, and number it. Pay attention so we can live with wise hearts, so, so we can respond in great wisdom. Pay attention. Don't let a day pass by. It has the idea of this. Consider each day and anticipate that something better is coming. Again, think of that original audience. Number our days. Oh yeah, we've been wondering a long time, but maybe, maybe today, maybe the days, the days God's gonna show up and, and get us to the promised land. Our middle son, Jacob, they just had their, their, their first baby and Jacob is married to a good Southern girl. Her name is Gracie Hope, two names, right? 
and of course their daughter, Rosie Love, two names, good Southern girl. Gracie Hope, in, in the last days of, of, of pregnancy back in the summer, Jacob, there, truly, there was like this four or five day window the week before her delivery date where every day he would call me. And like the first one was like, hey, dad, dad, you know, last night was a full moon and a lot of women go into labor after a full moon. Today might be the day. The next day, hey, dad, dad, Gracie Hope did not sleep well last night. And some people say that when women don't sleep well, it's because the baby's ready to come. I said, oh, good, Jacob. Next day, dad, Gracie Hope slept all afternoon. She slept almost through the whole night. I think she's resting up. Today may be the day. And I'd be, oh, thank you, Dr. OB guy and Jacob. You know, it's like, he's just in this world of every day. It's, oh, this, this is what's happening. Y'all, I want to be like Jacob. Because I love that. Because every morning he woke up and the most important thing for him was numbering the day is the day, the day I get to meet my little daughter. What if we lived more like Jacob? Where he lived with this bated breath morning saying, Lord, what might you be doing today? Lord, this is a gift you've given me. I had a piano teacher when I was a little boy and his prayer that he would pray before we do piano lessons was, he would start with these words, Lord, thank you for waking me up this morning. You didn't have to do it, but you did. I love the simplicity of that. It's that sense of, this is another gift. So Lord, thank you. How do I number it? How do I live anticipating that something greater may be coming? You know, earlier in the Psalm, Moses has kind of walked us through the situation of one, you know, God, you're great. You're everlasting. Our lives, they're quick. The, the grass fades. It's kind of like our life. We get swept away like a flood. But he's not saying our lives don't matter because they go quickly. Just the opposite. He's saying, though your life may be short, maximize it, use it well, number each day. Moses has taken us from the truth of the eternality of God to the, to the really finite part of our life and saying, now, use it well. Scholar N.T. Wright in a commentary about the book of Psalms summarizes Moses' prayer in Psalm 90 with these words. May I share them with you? Make us to be people who know how to stand at the threshold of human time and God's time. And there to learn both humility and hope. Our time is not worthless, but any worth it may possess comes from God's goodness, not our control of circumstances. If you pay attention to the last sentence, it's like, ooh, whoops. So many times the way my priorities are, so many times the way my expectations are of life, they're focused on what me, 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 what I need, what I want, how life's supposed to work. And Moses is saying, look, slow down, number your days, get that heart of wisdom, that heart of wisdom that invites you to do the art of neighboring, that heart of wisdom that invites you to love God and love others. Slow down. Right, brilliant scholar says it that way, but Andy Stanley, more pithy and more directly, says it this way. He says, we are to live as if our life has a point and we are not it. Powerful. I want to live my life full bore, full on, but realize it's not just about me. I think the reason passages like Psalm 90 show up in the Bible is to recalibrate us. Because it's so easy for me to live each day with me being the center of my life. With me being the final judge of how things should go. And Moses would say, hang on, check your priorities there, Jeff. Check your priorities. Maybe there's a better way to live. When our daughter Sarah was about 14, she came into my office one day at home and she said, Dad, can I talk to you? I said, sure. Sarah's very direct, loving, awesome girl. But she said, hey, Dad, um, I have a question. Fire, baby, anything. When was the last time that you took mom on a date? 
godly man that I am, I said, did your mom put you up to that? <laughs> and she goes, no, no, seriously, Dad. I remember I used to stay at home with the boys, the younger, her younger brothers. I used to stay at home with the boys when you and mom would go out. And I haven't done that in a long time, if it's long. And it hit me. I thought, wow, I, I've not thought about that. But I've been frustrated at Laura that we haven't done more stuff together. Do you hear that? The point was not, the point was me. What are you doing for me? Instead of going, what does it look like to engage? What does it look like to serve? Numbering our days when Moses used it, I think it's a great invitation to live beyond ourselves, to live our lives on purpose. Live beyond ourselves, to live our lives on purpose, to not just let the days pass by, but to live our priorities with that big word we've used several times this morning already, intentionality. Three things Moses is speaking to us in the psalm, I think. One, how's your vision? You know, do, do you have a vision that's rooted in, God, you're my dwelling place. If I'm going to finish strong, you've got to be my firm foundation. Realistic expectations. Are, are you in great, in, in, in engaging in that life is short and expect hard days and there are no secrets, so be known. And then finally, priorities. Are we numbering our days? Are we intentionally growing intimacy? Are we investing in the things that really matter? Three diagnostic questions. just want to encourage you to play with them some this week. I think part of my passion for this area is rooted in my own life story. My mom died when I was 20 years old, suddenly, just here and then gone. Several years later, similar situation with a baby brother, just here, got sick, 11 days later, gone. And then a couple years ago in April, my father, 90 years old, delightful man, took a fall in the middle of the night, gone. I think it's been pounded my life story that this life goes fast. Every day truly is a gift. When we're invited by Jesus to pay attention to our neighbors, I think he means it. I think he invites us to do it. But to do it, Moses would say, number your days well. Lewis Smedes, godly author, seminary professor, teacher. He died in 2003 taking the Christmas lights down off of his house when he fell off of a ladder. His family would find a journal. In the journal, he had written these words that I think illustrate the truth from God's word in Psalm 90 for us this morning. May I share his journal? I bought a brand new date book yesterday, the kind I use every year. Spiral bound, black imitation leather covers wrapped around pages and pages of blank boxes. Every square has a number to tell me which day of the month I'm at in that moment. Every square is a frame for one episode of my life. Before I'm through with the book, I will fill the squares with classes I teach, people with whom I ate lunch, everlasting committee meetings I sit through, and these are only the things I cannot afford to forget. I fill the squares also with things I do not write down to remember. Thousands of cups of coffee, love making with my wife, some praying, and I hope acts of kindness toward my neighbors. Whatever I do, it has to fit inside of one of those squares on my date book. I live one square at a time. The four lines that make up the box are the walls of time that organize my life. And each box has this invisible door that leads to the next square. As if by silent stroke, the door opens and I'm pulled through to the next day, like by a magnet sucked into the next square in line. There I will again feel the time frame that seals me. I'll fill it with busyness just as I did the square before. As I get older the squares seem to get smaller. One day, I will walk into a square that has no door. There will be no mysterious opening and no walking into an adjoining square. 
one of those squares will be terminal. I do not know which square it will be. I hope I have thousands of squares left. Hope you do. But I don't know. And so Moses would say, don't worry about the future squares. Today's square. Just, just today's square. Number this day. Sidebar application. Marriages, those of you who are married, this passage is so rich for us. There are issues, there are things that we know we need to talk about, and we just go, tomorrow. Uh, it might create hard times. It might be difficult. It might be conflictual. Lean in. Speak into it. Moms and dads, we have some stuff going with our kids, and we see it, and we go, ah, I don't know. I don't want to upset Junior. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe you should, Moses would say. Number your day. It's a gift. Lean into it. How do you make sure that child knows without a doubt, I'm on your team. I love you. I'm for you. I see something. Are you okay? Moses would invite us this morning to pay attention to what we're putting in our little squares, as Lewis Smedes calls them. How are you filling up your days? Are you filling them up with a good, firm foundation? Lord, you're our dwelling place. Are you living with realistic expectations? Are you paying attention to the priorities? Psalm 90 is, is one of my favorite psalms. I, I think it's a simple psalm, and I think it's an amazing psalm because it slows us down. It says, just pay attention to your life. How are you living it? In New City, God's done great things in this church. He's doing great things in your life. And he invites us through this psalm to slow it down, consider, and pay attention. I pray you'll do that this week as you follow him with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Would you pray with me? Father, this psalm really tells us that to grow a heart of wisdom, to, li to live wise, which your word invites us to, we need to intentionally number our days. And when we do, and when we do, beautiful things happen. Our perspective changes, our priorities change, our, our vision changes, and it's all for the better. Moses ends this psalm with a word that, Father, I would just pray over this congregation, pray over our lives this morning. Would you, O oh great God, would you satisfy us every morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad in all of our days, every one of them that we've numbered. O oh, Father, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to our, their children and, and our children's children. And Father, would you let the favor, would you allow the favor of the Lord our God to rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands, Father. Establish the work of our hands as we live our lives, numbering our days for your glory and our good. Amen.